You're listening to the podcast for grain merchandisers by grain merchandisers. Join us in our good humored attempt to serve as a voice of reason in an industry fraught with misconceptions and half truths. And now, from deep in America's heartland, this is the Elevator's Cut. Welcome back to another episode of The Elevator's Cut. We're glad to have you. I'm Jason Wheeler. And I'm Roger Gaddis. And we are here today with a very special episode. We're it's, it's special in that we're sharing a microphone. We are sharing. We're getting close, close to one another. But at the other end of the table today, we have an industry veteran, Mr. Jeff Reardon in the house. Uh, Jeff works... For a company called White's Commercial. Out of Florida. And so we've known Jeff uh, quite a few years now. Jeff started in the grain business uh, back around 07, I believe. Is that right, Oh eight. Jeff? Yes. Okay. Not, not too many words yet. We're still talking. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is terrible. Jason so, just loves his chance to make a banker sweat. So Now, from 07 until now in the grain business, from a banking standpoint, pretty tame. No, no real events have happened. Is that right? That's right. Nothing. It's been very, very calm. Everybody's in a good place. There hasn't been any stress to speak of that I've seen. No, Jason, obviously we've seen a lot of stress in the banking world and in the Grain Elevator financing arena. Uh, we, I started in 2008 and as I walked into the office, you could actually see the stress in the people in the office. You could see the stress in the customer's if you talk to somebody on the phone, everybody had a little bit of an edge to them because the market had been running up. Clearly, that was a challenge. We hadn't seen anything like that, especially with the positions that we had put on. You know, we had new crop positions from two, three years out. So those needed to be financed. We had to carry those. We had big inventory positions that were coming to us or that we had in the bins. And honest to goodness, we just weren't ready. You know, it was, it was something we could have seen coming, but we weren't ready for it. It's a pretty good introductory story, and and uh, you know for those uh, uh, wondering what we're talking about today, well, we're talking about the financing side, the some would call it the sexy side of the grain business, and uh, and, and that's what we're going to get into today. And, and and we thank Jeff so much for taking some time out to uh, to be on this uh, this episode with us. And uh, Jason, you've you've worked with Jeff for a lot of years. I, I was a customer. Uh, when I first met Jeff, and he helped us out a lot, and uh, but you've worked with him, so give us the dirt. <laughs> the dirt. Well, Jeff's wearing his green shirt because he's the money guy. Uh, his nickname is the banker at White Commercial, and and so so finance because you had several, you had you had uh, twenty years or or such. I, how many years did you have? Yes, in that's banking? I was in banking from the time I gra- I graduated college in nineteen eighty seven. So I showed up at work thinking, you know, think about black swan events. I showed up at work in August, and in the, back in those days, we had management training programs. Well, my first job is in collections. That's where you start. Black Monday happens. The Dow loses almost 23%. So unfortunately, I got stuck in collections, and I was just looking outside. In the beautiful office we have today, you could certainly see a window washer out there. And whenever we, I saw them, I'm like, I'd much rather be doing that than what I was doing. But uh, so things happen. Yeah, and then we had the rise of uh, what we all know now as hip hop happened <laughs> right after those days. Things so. are never the same since. 
It's great. We had Run DMC and uh, Beastie Boys, and it was good. Dixie Chicks, all of it. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, but it was, it was an interesting time for sure in the country. But So you came through that. You, yes. You know, many years on the commercial banking side, and then you, some Florida kid learns about the grain and how, how that world works, and you've been helping our elevators, customers, for, you know, it's been 15 almost, years or something yeah, like that now. Yeah. So, uh, so you've, you've really seen a lot come through, uh, come through the business as far as our, our cycles. We, we've had some pretty extreme cycles as we, as we alluded to, and, uh, and you've helped help folks through that. So, uh, very interesting stuff. All right. So one of the favorite things that, that Jeff does for white commercial and for our customers is every year, we do a, well, I say we, you do a financial survey. You get everybody's financials. So we work with about 300 companies. So you, you open that up and everybody that wants to submits, submits their financials. And then you go through and do wizardry. And uh, I don't know what all it is. And, and so I'd like you to share a little bit about that, what it is that you do with that, and then how people use it. And then, and then what does it say? Because the other thing you get is a big a industry-wide understanding of where margins are and where all sorts of things are. So could you speak to that a little? Thank you, Jason. Yes, the the survey that we do is a peer analysis. So we take the, all the companies that want to participate that we work with. And we also do for our companies, we'll do something called a trend analysis. So we'll take their financial statements, put years of financials in it. So now we're just adding to that for our customers. And what we've taken out of that, well, first you mentioned kind of the macro trends for the industry. We've seen, you know, 2009, 2010, 2011, and 12, we had great margins. Overall, the industry was doing phenomenally well, and we saw it through growth. We saw new space go up. We saw people get acquired, get sold, get bought, and it was a great time for the grain industry. But then, you know, we saw margins start to retract a little in 13, 14. 2015, and I'm talking about harvest years, right? So we're going to start with the harvest of 2015. That was a tough year, you know, and, and Roger talks to this in many of the episodes, but it was it really, that was a story about grain policies, grain buying policies. We weren't charging enough for our space. We didn't control the basis as, as the grain came to the elevator, and the margins reflected that. That was a tough time for us. But what we did was we made changes as an industry, and from then, every year has gotten better. Now, I know this year could be a little bit different. You know, it's going to be a case of the haves and the have-nots. But I will tell you that, the you know, I look at median numbers when I do this industry trend, and the median numbers for the harvest of 2018 are going to be fantastic. And I think 2019, we have spreads in the market, we have carries. And, you know, if you have grain, it should be a good year. Yeah, yeah, especially those people that were proactive this year on that end. Uh, you know, as you were saying about <clears throat> after 08, we kind of got into this, you know, we saw we saw where the faults lied in grain policies, the elevators, and, and a lot of people made changes, you know, especially those that are still around and made changes and adjusted. Um, but from your standpoint, what changes did you see on the lending side after 08? What, what did that precipitate out there in the, in the marketplace? Uh, was it as easy for an elevator to go get money in 2010 as it was in 2006? I would say that the lenders that stayed with us, that stayed in the business, are much, much better than they were in those years prior to it. They're more knowledgeable. They understand our business. 
Does that always translate into more money for the elevator? Not always, because they do know our business. They know what they're looking for. They know what it, what it takes to be successful in the business. Many of the lenders do. Uh, so I would say that that's, that's been a big change. Uh, hey, this is a growth story, right? When you look out and you talk to your elevator customers, you're seeing bins go up. You're seeing people buying other businesses. You're seeing money being made and they're reinvesting in their businesses. So let's not, let's not, I don't want to put any type of negative spin. This has been a fantastic growth story that I've seen, you know, since I got into business. And, you know, and that's not just stuff we've seen, you know, the numbers back it up. If you look at, you know, some of the national statistics on grain bins, uh, the growth over the past, I don't know, five or six years at least has overwhelmingly been more of the commercial side than the farm side. You know, it's, it's switched around. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's definitely seeing and you're seeing the fruits of it, you know, out there, not just within our own customer base. That's right. I think it's something that had to change. And I was out there, you know, kind of on the front end trying to help our customer base change banks to get to the right person. And what was slowing a lot of people down was accounting, mark-to-market accounting. There were things that were making it more difficult to help our customers. So that's when we turned around and, and really dug into that mark-to-market accounting class. And, and it's, I think it's proved very beneficial with our banking relationships. Yeah, that's been our most, at White Commercial, we do a lot of online courses. And that one by far is the most popular one industry folks uh, folks get into. And it's it's added a few initials to the end of your name too in, in recent years, right? That's right. I, I, uh, I'm now a CPA. So one of our customers called me up and said, so now you're a certified pain in the ass. And that I would have to agree with. <laughs> hey, this is, a, uh, this is a family podcast, okay? So uh, let's, just kidding. There. The uh, <clears throat> and you know the, the accounting thing. While it's it's definitely you know we talked about the financing side being the sexy side. If, when you get down to the accounting side, whew, man, talk about the fun stuff. But this has been the thing that's connected so many people. I mean, I don't know how many companies. We alone, as an organization, have connected to through the accounting staff, through the the people that look at the numbers, and then gotten them to come on board with the rest of the things because it's such a vital issue to be successful in the grain business. It is, and what everybody wants is to know that the numbers are accurate. Hey, do these numbers make sense? And to take it a step farther, can we project profitability into this year? And we can. When we look at basis charts, you know, you talk to Phil Luce. Roger, Jason, you guys do the same thing. You know how much margin is probably going to come out of next year. So with that information, it's not hard to predict the future. Uh, to, to that end, you know, as a, as a former merchandiser at the elevator, it was very easy for me, <clears throat> without having to do any quote-unquote fancy math, to know what my margins were. I bought it here. I sold it here. I put these spreads on. Here it is. But then on the other side of it, to prove the numbers out, if you don't have the right people in your team speaking the same language, it's almost impossible. You can beat your head against the wall. I know I made this. And the accounting side saying, uh, that's not what we see. You know, so is that something out there that, that you encounter? And, and what's your uh, thoughts on how to how folks can can overcome that kind of issue if they're facing that? I've, I've definitely seen that as an issue out there. But, Roger, I got to tell you, I when I first came to this business, I had every financial ratio in the book. We would talk about ratios and things of that nature. I was saying the wrong things. I wasn't communicating properly. It's all on me. So now it's keep it simple, right? We'll show graphs, we'll show charts, and we'll pick and choose 
what we want to show in board meetings, right? You know, we're going to look at the financial statements and boil it down to a few different things and then just make it very simple. And uh, what you said is true. Uh, you can't, it's, it's not complicated. It's fifth grade math. We just have to interpret it. So I've got, I've got some rapid fire questions for you, Jeff. These are just some, some basic industry numbers that people always want to know in general. And I know there's a range on all these, but, but just a, a ballpark for us, so, some numbers. So people ask, what does it cost? What's the overhead cost to handle a, a bushel of grain? What, what do most people use for that? See, it's it, rapid fire. That's a great question. Everybody does want to know it. What I've done is I've gone a little differently instead of that one bushel. Because where did the bushel come from? There's so many questions that get complicated. So what we've done is we've said, hey, if you have a million bushels of space, then you could expect your operating expenses, right, which is what you're after. You could expect your operating expenses to be in the, you know, 50 to 70 cent range. Now, don't, you know, it depends on how, what you're doing at your facility. There are some caveats. But we've gone off a of space rather than bushel because really – what happens is if you're in Georgia or if you're in New York, you're going to handle bushels totally differently than you do in Iowa, totally differently than you do in North Dakota. So by going to a return on space number instead of an expense per bushel number, it seems to have resonated more with our customer base. But to, to throw a number at you, uh, a bushel of grain, uh, if you're going to carry it seven months and you're going to depreciate the facility and do all the stuff you got to do uh, and you're going to have the labor you know, you're probably looking somewhere in the 30 cent, 30 to 40 cent range. Okay. So if we're building a new facility from just, just a green field, new facility, got to put everything in. What, what do you figure it, it costs these days to, to build something per bushel? I'm, I'm all right. per bushel. Per bushel. Yeah, I understand. I understand. So I do a lot of what we do with the, the peer analysis and the trend analysis. We try to help people grow. I said it's a growth story. I can't tell you how many projects I've had the good fortune to be involved in uh, since I've been at White Commercial just this year alone. Don't think people aren't growing this year. They are. Uh, and what we do is we look at that. And if you're talking about a greenfield project and you probably have to put in a little office, something like that, you may be getting close to $4 a bushel to put it in. Now, it depends on the scope of the project, right? If, you've, if you're putting up you know, 10 million bushels, then all of those ancillary features are going to be a little less expensive per bushel. But if you're, if you're looking at uh, somewhere between 350 and $4 a bushel, I think you're right in the ballpark. Uh, if you've already, if you're not adding a dump pit and you've, and, and you're in a line and it's, and you're adding steel, you're probably looking, I'd say probably 250, something in that range per bushel. Because that's and th those are a lot of the stuff that our customers come to you with yes. is hey we're looking at either expanding maybe building a new facility adding on to our current or buying another facility and so we got to you know weigh the costs of if we built it ourselves or if we bought this stuff even if it's not quite up to date and then how much should we pay so Jeff Jeff always is is on the the cutting edge I say on these on these values where they are and and uh, and analyzing these things because our, our customers are having to grow all the time we keep growing more grain and uh so we have to keep finding more space for it so um he's always my go-to guy for that so bigger elevators cut right the uh so to this before we move off of this uh growing and expansion idea 
Um, n- not to be negative, Nancy here, but what is wh- what is a, a challenge or, or maybe an issue that you've come across out there when when an elevator's got a few years of success under their belt and they realize they need to grow, and then they're like, "I've got all this money, I need to add some bins." Go time. What 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 can what could be a bad thing that could happen there? Well, I, th- I think Don White used to say things like this that. Um, when you have a lot of money available to you, and he would say it better than me, but you tend to overspend. You tend to do things that you wouldn't have done five years ago when you were cutting your teeth in the business and things were just getting going. So, you know, for me, it's always uh, be careful with the projects you put in. I start to see customers that are growing and have grown and done very well they tend to do things that don't have the return that the previous project would do. So I'm all about returns. So how quickly can we pay this project back within itself? So we do that, right? We take their financial statements. We look at the project as an individual thing. We say, hey, this project can pay itself back in six and a half years. Are you comfortable with that? Are you comfortable with that internal rate return, which I know is an accounting thing? But if you are, then we project that number onto your financial statements so we can say look here's what your financial ratios look like and these are the things you got to worry about so uh, you know on my side i like to look at the positives and unfortunately you know, i got to look at the negatives and be very very direct with that yeah because we've heard stories of of not necessarily our customers but just stories in the industry of folks adding space and then when it comes to harvest and they buy a bunch of grain they're like oh I forgot I had to buy all this grain that goes to go in the tank now, and I'm going to carry it to make all this money, and now I'm out of money. Right on. you got to put the operating line in first, then build the space. Right. Yeah, and we want to drill down a little more in, in how to figure all that. But first, I'd like to take a quick commercial break from our sponsor for this episode. Break from our sponsor? So who is our sponsor today, Jason? Today's sponsor is The Markets. Ah, yes, I've heard of them. The markets. Can you believe they did that today? The markets. Green arrow, red arrow, who gives a sheep? The markets. Because it wasn't my fault I didn't sell. Knock, knock. Who's there? The markets. The markets who? You lose. Hey, we're back with Jeff Reardon in the house today, coming in studio with Roger and I. We're... We're very pleased as always. So where we left off, we were talking about getting financing because uh, it, it, it's really twofold in a commercial grain elevator business. Sometimes you're looking for, I guess, your long-term financing, whether it's upgrading facilities, getting new facilities, that sort of thing. That's one segment. Then the other segment is having the appropriate line of credit, yearly stuff. And so which is more important or, or I, I guess... That's not the question, I guess. How do you how do you posture yourself as a business to be in the sweet spot of getting the right financing in place? So, what would you say is is the key thing to focus on? The key thing to focus on for most of our customers is working capital. So, all the banks are going to leverage that working capital to give you your operating line. So, if you've got a million dollars in working capital, or you know, maybe they'll go. Uh, to a five or six million dollar operating line, uh, so that's the first place to go. And and the bigger banks, the more regional banks are going to look to that for the more established businesses. But hey, we have a, most of our customer base 
has come from the farming communities. So they're large farms. They've been out there and they say, you know, I've got this space and I want to capture all the opportunity that this space has. So the way to do that, obviously, is through basis trading. So as they go through that, typically what I see is you're with the local bank. Local banks love to lend on land. So they're going to grab all the land they can and, uh, and, and lend off of that. So they're not really going to look at working capital and they're not going to go into all the financial ratios. They're just going to say, you got land, you're a good person, you get the loan. Right. I, I remember, I guess, interning or, or walking around with a, with a bank back in college and they had the five C's and everything. And I remember one banker saying to another, what do you mean collateral five times? I mean, that, that's really what it is, right? I mean, they just want to loan money that has no risk to it, right? Because they can always, they just want to get their, get their hands on other stuff, right? That, that's what bankers are, right? Tell, tell me where I'm wrong. <laughs> no, that's not, <laughs> okay. but I will say I'm this. Like, okay, I am. Right. I am going to say this, uh, that banks, no, they're looking to be partners in your business. They're looking for you to grow so you can grow. But what they do, and you just alluded to it, is let's get our hands on all this collateral. So what we work with our customers on is, hey, what financial ratio, where do we have to get to, to where they're not going to collateralize your ground? You know, if you want to start pulling some of your land out of that and, you know, maybe you're going through, uh, you know, succession planning. Maybe you're going through, hey, you know what? The, you know, I, I want to give this to my kids. I want to do this. Then to get ready for that, you have to take some of your assets back. They love assets. So you, you just you talked about working capital. What's working capital? What oh, is thank it? You. How do you yeah, get to that number? Absolutely. So it's, it's just is your... Is there dividing or <laughs> multiplying involved or what do you do? There is subtracting involved. Ooh, that's easier. Yes, we can do that. Like I said, everything that we do as a bank, everything I did as a banker, you could have done in fifth grade. You know, it's adding, subtracting, multiplying, dividing. And in this case, it's just current assets minus current liabilities. And, you know, the accountants do a great thing for us as bankers. And they, they put those, typically they put those numbers in bold on the financials just so we can find them. So, uh, so you'll see the, as, as you look at your financial statement, you'll see that. But that's the most important thing we can do is build that. Uh, to a reasonable number, right? You don't want to go too far there either uh, because then that working capital isn't working for you anymore. So let's say I'm, I'm the manager of an elevator and I have an owner, I have a board, maybe I am the owner, I have a wife, and then I have margin calls. How do I explain this without everyone losing their mind? They, you got to explain. <laughs> That's a great question. That's my whole job, right? Uh, you have to. I thought maybe you've heard it a time or two. <laughs> you have to explain it before the fire starts, if at all possible. Have to go to them, and you know, my line is: bankers don't lend on losses in margin accounts. Bankers lend on assets because the only reason you're, hey, we're hedgers here at White Commercial. The only reason that you have a margin call is because the asset's gone up in value. So I continually show them, hey, the inventory is worth more. Hey, the forward contract has value. If I were to sell it to the guy next door, this is the value. So it's uh, keep it simple, especially if the fire's burning. And we've seen, you know, hey, that happens. Definitely. Hey, but you, you have to plan for this kind of stuff, right? Mm. You know, I, years ago, I took my kids to, uh, to they hadn't, we're, we're swamp people, we're from Florida, so they hadn't been snowboarding before. 
my wife and I get together and we say, you know what? We've seen, we've already seen the broken arms. I've got three sons. Believe me, we hit our insurance deductible every year. So we're going snowboarding. We're like, okay, what are we going to do? We're going to buy little braces for them, you know, for inside the arms. A little, just a little thing. Nobody will ever see it. We're going to give it to them before they go down the mountain, which we do. And the first trip down the mountain, my youngest son comes over and he says, hey, I can't tie my boot. Will you tie it for me? I say, what happened to you? Well, they're all kind of gathered around. And, uh, and he said, well, I don't know. I fell on my wrist. Well, he broke his wrist, so he couldn't, couldn't do it. My middle son's looking at me, and he's saying, okay, Jeff, will you tie this for me? So anyway, he had broken his wrist on the same run, never came to me. The bottom line was we had a great plan, we, we had, but we didn't communicate it, right? And the kids, did they take it? Sure, they did. They were in their pockets. They didn't care about our plan. <laughs> so you got to communicate the plan. That's fantastic. Golly. Uh, yeah, that's a... Uh... You know, that, that seems to be, uh, you know, working with maybe folks, elevators that are new to hedging and getting into merchandising. That is always a, um, um, if, if there's anything that causes pause, <laughs> it's the whole margin call thing. And, and uh, or even if it's just the, the, the nice little lady that answers the phone on the, on, the, on the actual margin call. And then she's just like, we're sending you more money today. What do you people do for a living? So I call you for money is what I do for a living. <laughs> you're right. So, Roger, you may have been at this meeting with me. I did a meeting in Sioux Falls. It was during the height of that run-up, and there was, a like you said, the little old lady. I think you're probably there. Little old lady in the front row. Well, what it was was this, it was a syndication. There were probably uh, 15 banks represented, and most of them were commercial lenders except for this, this lady, and she was about to retire. And she was working for a bank, and she wanted to know where the money was going, Roger. And after we talked to her, she got a little bit more comfortable. But she thought her retirement money was flowing out and the bank was going under. So we ha- we do. Everybody that touches this needs to be aware of what's really going on. That's not what happened. They were margin calls. The assets were worth more. Everybody's in a great place. Not to her. And now she's happy. She retired. The bank probably did pretty good on that deal. Sure, yeah. But it, this is such a huge thing, especially – you know, some of the, and I'm sure you see it out there a lot. Some of these banks that maybe don't specialize in this are getting into it, and it's, it can be a very steep learning curve. So just being able to have the tools at your advantage, and this is one of the things that you specialize in helping with people with. Yeah, yeah. Let's make them understand when the stress is off, when the fire is not burning, because it will burn. We will have situations where it happened last summer. Uh, there were some banks that weren't financing forward contracts. Hey, we had a run-up in the market. Wasn't anything unusual, right? A dollar move. But if you have a big position and you're not getting help on your forward contracts, that is huge. So we had some challenges there. Well, of course, we overcame them, but it would have been a lot easier to do it without that fire burning. Absolutely. Okay, one last thing before we wrap up here, Jeff. We we uh, run the gamut, lots of, lots of customers that you work with, but... Uh, Big banks, big national banks, local community banks, they're all over the place. What are pros and cons of, of those relationships? Should someone look more one than the other? What do you think? It's, well, I, I love the community banks. Uh, what I've found over the years is that they do help our customers during that initial growth stage. 
They love that. They're going to be lending on land. They're just fantastic lenders supporting the community. We want to support them as well. So as our customers grow, a lot of times what they do is they say, hey, I don't want to leave my community bank, but I need this operating line that they can't provide. So what am I going to do? So what we try to do is arrange, kind of make a match where we find most likely in this case, it'll be a regional bank that would be interested so they can come and do the operating line or some portion of it to where they don't have to go out to 10 local community banks to serve their need. Right. So, so you can, as you outgrow, you can, you can involve those other banks without having to take your business elsewhere and you can still support those folks that they got you started in, in those cases. Absolutely. And that takes the risk away, right? Because the risk is that the local bank can't help you. They have a hard limit and you know, they'll, they'll try to use warehouse receipts to mitigate that limit. But the bottom line is, is they have limits and we need to know that they have limits. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today, and we really appreciate you stopping by. And if anyone has any questions out there or want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Yes, just call our number at White Commercial, and I'll get to you right away. That's that number is 800-327-7000, if memory serves. That's right, and you can always reach out to us on, at, on Twitter, at Elevators Cut, and we... We love interacting with folks on there. Rogers is at Weevil Hog, I believe, and I'm at Hog underscore Wheeler. And, and Jeff's even got a Twitter, and we're, we'll tweet out this episode. as a good chance that's how you, how you found it. But anyways, interact with us on there for sure. Call us, email us, I- anything. Um, and, and we love to, love to take suggestions on the show, and, and uh, we, we'd love to have Jeff back again. And you guys can give us all sorts of questions to ask, and we'd, we'd love to do it. But. So as always, guys, we ask you all to like us, subscribe us, write some reviews. We don't have many reviews on there. We just we need some words on a, on a screen. You type them in, put on there. I hear that's what you're supposed to do if you have a podcast is have some reviews. Yeah, it's good. Actually, I was looking the other day. One guy gave us a star, which is really nice of him to do. So I'm I was pretty excited about that. Well, one star is better than no star, am I right? And uh, anyways. So thanks again, you guys, for listening. And for Roger, I'm Jason. And for Jason, I'm Roger. Thanks for listening to The Elevator's Cut. Out. Out.